Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And welcome back. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small, and just to get a couple things out of the way, this is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket, but if you like what you hear, want to help out, want to spread the snapshots in hockey history gospel, please tell a friend, share on Facebook, or leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Can't tell you guys how much that helps in getting word around the podcast. All right, we're halfway through the week, guys. It's Wednesday evening when I'm recording this. Tomorrow morning, I have another interview for Snapshots in Hockey History, and I got another one coming up this Saturday as well. But talking about our last interview with Alan Hangslaben, man, I still can't get over that disco story. How funny was that? I actually looked up Paul Hurley, who they called Shooter, they were talking about. And Paul, I'd never heard of him. He was actually from Boston, played one game in the National Hockey League for the Boston Bruins, played on the 67-68 U.S. Olympic team, played a lot at Boston College, and had a quite a WHA career, mainly with Hartford. Never heard about him. A guy would probably be in his late 70s now. But uh, enjoyed hearing about him, and that's the point of this podcast. I want to hear about some of these characters from back in the day. As far as what's going on in in my world, uh, last night got to watch a little bit of the Phoenix Coyotes game. I think it was probably the first Coyotes game I'd seen in years. I was excited to see Brendan Perlini come down on the wing and get close to the net and shoot that goal from a horrible angle and able to score. That was sweet. Uh, I think they were playing the Wild. I think it went in on Dubnik. Um, I remember Perlini when he played in the Ontario Hockey League for the Niagara Ice Dogs. It's always fun to see a guy go from junior all the way up and, and make it and do something well. Which, speaking of the Ontario Hockey League, I think I'm going to need some uh, of our listeners' help from up north. I am planning my annual OHL trip. I've done it for the past three or four years now. Every year, a buddy of mine and I go up or I drag my wife. We head up to up north and catch a couple of OHL games on a weekend. We try to do a Friday-Saturday set. We've been to Peterborough. We've been to Mississauga. Also gone to Kitchener, Niagara, uh, Hamilton, and I think that's pretty much everything. So we're getting ready to plan our trip for some time in November. If anybody has some OHL City suggestions to check out, please send me a message on Facebook or shoot me an email at brettsmall84. I love watching the OHL. I love watching junior hockey. I think it's so much fun to see these guys before they make it to the uh, to the big leagues. All right, picking up on where we left off on Monday, we're going to air our part two of our interview with Alan Hangslaven today. Uh, as I mentioned before, Alan's such a good guy, such a nice guy. I actually called to tell him that I was going to go ahead and air this episode, and he wanted all the information. He wanted to hear it, and I really enjoyed part two of this interview because you really hear about how much he loved the city of Hartford, but also the other side of being a pro athlete where he talks about getting traded, and you can tell in his voice how emotional and how hard it was for him. We also talk about some good characters that were playing in the World Hockey Association at the time, including Mark Messier, Mike Gartner, a couple other players. We talk about some NHL figureheads because we talk about the merger, and that brings up some NHL guys. We talk about, believe it or not, Harold Ballard, who's a guy I'm like obsessed with. I just, I'm like, this guy was so charismatic and so crazy, yet it sounds like everybody hated him and he was just a jerk. But we talk about him. We also talk about Howard Baldwin, which Howard Baldwin, for those that don't know, he was, first of all, an owner of the New England Whalers. But then he became a part owner of the Minnesota North Stars, as well as the Pittsburgh Penguins and the San Jose Sharks. He also talks about Howard Baldwin Jr., who was Howard's son. And Howard Baldwin Jr. would go ahead and uh, go on to have a little bit of a National Hockey League career. I think he was an equipment manager or something with the San Jose Sharks. But anyway, sit back, relax. We're going to go ahead and pick up this interview. Uh, We left off talking about Gordie Howe. We're going to pick it up talking about Gordie Howe again. And we're going to roll through his time in the WHA, the merger, eventually playing in the NHL, 
getting traded and also the first bit of time in Washington. Now, there are all these legendary stories about his strength that he would lift two 90 pound bags, you know, of concrete working for his dad. Did you ever see any signs of his strength? Um, back, I guess, back then, you know, you never had the, the lifting or the regiment of going mm-hmm. to the weight room and other things like, you know, like that, I guess, that hockey players and stuff do nowadays. Okay. Um, the only thing that I really seen him do that was, you know, I went fishing with them, Mark and uh, Marty and Gordy down at Nistic or, um, I think it was either Nistic and Niantic or down by, um, where the submarine base is in, in Connecticut. Okay. And they had a cooler that was the size of a gang box. You know, I, I guess it was probably shoot three foot high, had to be 24 inches wide and probably six foot long. Mm-hmm. He just didn't like these. They had like an old, old, you know, this was, it's not what they drove, but they had an old, um, what the heck was it? I want to say it wasn't a panel. It was like a station wagon that they all come down in. And this thing here, I think you had to really pull this, the back seats up so it would fit in the station wagon. And Gordy grabbed that thing out of the back of there and walked it down the pier and onto the boat that, you know, it took two people, you know, just to wrestle with the damn thing. And this was, you know, just a routine thing for for him. He never even thought twice. The man never had any shoulders. If you looked at him, you know, his shoulders went from his earlobes down to the outside of his shoulders. There was no broad. It was just straight muscle strength. You know, like from the, the, I guess, the bottom part of the top of the neck all the way to the shoulders. And I bet there were some stories that were told on that fishing trip as well. Um, I'm sure that was a heck of an experience. Oh, it was. You know, the other thing is that they would put three hooks on, and what was we were fishing for was called blue. Okay. And you'd get like three, uh, maybe sixteen to twenty pound blue on the it was called an umbrella hook, and then start cranking and cranking, and then then you could see you know the muscles in Gordy's arms that. that you know, how they would tighten up, you know, from like, say, the wrist to sure. you know, the, the forearms that he had. You know, they weren't forearms, they were five arms, for Christ's sakes. They were, you know, just the strength in his hands and from his, you know, elbows to his hands, rather. But he was just a, a phenomenal man. You said Gordy didn't go out, but would Mark and Marty go out and hang out with you guys? Mark would more than Marty. You know, he would, he, they would hang. You know, but everybody, everybody, you know. Other than when in training camp, when everybody was new, mm-hmm. you know, when they, um, everybody went as one, you know, and that's one of the, that was one of the best things I think about the Caps this year is that they were all one. That's the only way that they, you know, went through the, the playoffs the way they did is that everyone was for everyone. And that, that's the way that, that we were, you know, when, you know, once the season started that, you know, everybody was there together, not as a, an individual. March 9th, it's announced that the NHL owners met for 10 hours to discuss a WHA-NHL murder, uh, merger, excuse me, not murder. And uh, Howard Baldwin, the Whalers owner, is one of the key guys behind it for the WHA. What was your relationship with Howard? I mean, he was a younger guy, especially for an owner in the WHA. Howard Baldwin was and still is uh, a very, very good friend of mine. You know, Howard and I can remember little Bubba. 
little Howie, or his name was Howard Jr. or whatever, and then his daughter named it was Becky. They would come in the locker room, and little you know Howie was like the, the the little his son was a little hellion. He was into this, <laughs> into that, and just you know we take him and stick him upside down in the trash can. You know it was, and you know like if we, anybody would probably do that. To, you know the, the the person like Howard Baldwin with the clout today, you know they'd probably get fired or they would they wouldn't be on the team the next day. But Howie, Howie, and, and Becky. The thing is that the Becky, I was. Becky's best player, you know, whatever. Howie and Becky were, you know, like they had the pictures. We had pictures sitting out together, and they were on the mm-hmm. wall, the, the bedroom wall, and all those others. You know, I was like family to them. They would, you know, like, um, like Rosso, we would go over there with Howard Baldwin, and I was invited to, you know, to the governor's mansion and all this other. You know, it was, it, it, it was great just just to know that the Baldwin family and. People in Hartford were so, I guess, so wanting of a professional team that they, you know, they really opened their hearts to us. And that's one of the reasons I fell in love with the city. The the plans for the merger get shot down. And one of the, you know, guys not behind it, who was one of the people that would not vote on it, was Harold Ballard, former owner of the Maple Leafs. Everybody knows how fans feel about him. How did players feel about him back then? I know you didn't play for him. But I'm sure that you heard stories over the years. Right, right. Well, Harold Ballard was, I don't know, I, I, from what I heard was, a, a, this is hearsay, but he was like a complete jerk. Why do you think Ricky Lee, Brad Selwood, Davey Keon, um, there's three names. Um, I, I want to say Swoop Carlson was another one that was, you know, maybe he was in Boston, but the, the, those three guys left Toronto as soon as they could just to get the hell away from Ballard and you know the the team it was just it was like a cancerous thing and they 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 loved you know that they came and they played every night and they didn't have to put up with all the the, the bull that was going on in Toronto needless to say it's not surprising to hear for financial reasons and for personal grudges that Harold Ballard did not want to do the merger but the merger ends up going through actually uh, a few days later on the 26th and uh, Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal, they ended up getting over their beef with the having to split the TV revenues with Winnipeg, Edmonton, and Quebec. How excited are you at this point? Or, you know, what? what's everyone's reaction going, oh my God, next year we're going to be in the NHL? That, 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 that was exactly what it was. It was, oh my God, next year we're going to be there. Now, you know, now what, what are we going to do? Are we going to change our... I guess our style, or are we going to change? Do we have to change our style because the team is um, the teams are a lot deeper? You know, there's not one line or two lines. There's three good lines, and they're all of good size. You know, that you, you don't get a small line or a, 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 a slower line, or the because of the um, the world. You know, the older player that was in the world hockey that um, now it's the NHL. You know, are we going to be able to be good enough? Are we going to be able to you know? I guess, play 80 games against, you know, uh, top teams. Speaking of changing styles, Bill Deneen and Don Blackburn actually switch places. Bill Deneen, the head coach, actually like moves over to scouting and Don Blackburn takes over and he didn't really have a long coaching career. What was Don Blackburn to play for versus Bill Deneen? How were they different? How were they similar? What was their strategies? Things like that. Um, Bill Deneen had, you know, like, I guess, structure. What if I should say that? Um, 
that he had a game plan for every every night you come in, you would play, you know, say if it was Indianapolis or if it was Cincinnati or if it was San Diego or whatever. He had enough, I guess, from playing when he was in Houston that he had a, a, a backlog or a, a notebook that he took on all these teams on what style and what, you know, how they would play the games. Blackie was just a, a fellow player that had played with um, Hartford and that they, I, I guess, I don't know, they picked him up, you know, for way, way less money than Bill Deneen was making. And Bill was, I think, was wanted to go back. And that, that's when his sons and stuff were starting to become of age that he wanted to get them in, like, the, the best schools or, the you know, the best hockey um, that they could play. March 26th. Or I'm sorry, March 18th, you play the Cincinnati Stingers, and you end up fighting Barry Melrose for the second time this season. What's the beef with Barry Melrose? It seemed like you guys were always scrapping. <laughs> he was a, I don't know, he was a great big dummy. You know, like he was just, a, you know, like he, I guess a pretty boy type of thing, and he, you know, it was just, he was just a big guy that you know they would. There was really no, you know, no beef or anything. It was just that it just happened that, you know, that whenever him and I would be, you know, we would, uh, I guess we, not that we disliked one another, but it just, just, it would happen. And there was, there was no really beef with, with Barry Melrose. Fair, fair enough. So towards the end of the year, uh, we're getting towards the playoffs. There's three games left. And you end up playing the Cincinnati Stingers again. Mike Liute is in net for the Stingers, who ended up going on to having a great career with the Whalers and the Capitals. But you end up scrapping again, this time, though, with your future teammate, Mike Gartner. And then a young Mark Messier tries to get involved. He ends up getting a third man in penalty. Do you remember this fight at all? No, I don't. And to, to tell you the truth, I, I would never put a, you know, it, I, I couldn't have known Garts then because Mike Gartner is one of the top classiest hockey players that you would ever meet, you know, and I don't know what, you know, what happened is, you know, guards, you know, I played with him in Washington and I tell you, I don't even remember the fight, oh. but I do remember Messier. Messier was, he was another kid, but he was like, just built like a moose, you know, he's just, I mean, strong, strong hands, just a strong hockey player. You end up going into the playoffs. How's the team feeling going into the playoffs uh, you're playing Cincinnati in the first round. Do you recall the series at all? Not, no, not not really. I think that we had a high, high expectations that you know that we had played well all year and we had played against them. You know, like we had um, played well against them all year. So you end up sweeping them in three games, and it's on to a seven-game series with the Edmonton Oilers, who by this time have Wayne Gretzky on the team they end up having a red-hot offense. Do you recall how you guys tried to counter that offense and, and tried to defend against them? It was really, really hard. It was hard to counter against, you know, Edmonton, especially, you know, like, they had, you know, with Gretzky, and I can still remember, freaking what was it, Dave Semenko or Cement yep. Hands or Cementhead Semenko. Cementhead Semenko. You know, just to protect yep. him. That's, yeah, that's all he was there for. He, he, he didn't even, I don't even think he even touched the puck. But if anybody even looked cross-eyed at Gretzky, you know he was right, you know, right there, and that's that. That was the, the biggest, I think, the difference between the NHL and the World Hockey is that the World Hockey had two or three 
players that couldn't play, but yet they were they were there. They were the policemen or the instigators or the you know the the, the bullies. Does that weird to you to see that that element of the game is almost gone now? Here, forty years later, uh, I think it's, it's great. I, I really do, as I can still remember coming out of college. You know, as an American-born hockey player coming out of college, going and playing against you know the the big bad Bruins, and you had um, oh shoot, what the hell, Cherry Don Cherry was their their coach. He hated college hockey players, and you could just see it when you you get up on you know you go play against Boston and they would have their their you know like Raquel or somebody like that playing Wentzik or here come O'Reilly or here come you know like and it was just I know that the first month in the league you know I didn't fight I, I just turned the other way is because that's the way I was taught mm-hmm. is that in college you get in a fight say on a Friday night you get thrown out that night plus Saturday night see then you right. don't play right. So uh, that, that's the you know that, that that's the way that was that was instilled in me. So I didn't, and I took grief from everybody. You know, and when I was in between Hartford and Cape Cod, I would play in Hartford, get on a Cessna and fly to the Cape, and after the game, fly back to Hartford, and then we would whatever. But um, I played like the one stretch was seven games and seven nights. In seven different cities. Oh my gosh! And you know, and, and never that was the first year. I never thought anything you know different. And then that's that's professional hockey. That's the way it was for me. But the, to, to go back to the fighting and all this other stuff is that I didn't do anything for the first month. I just took it. And then the, for the next three weeks, I fought every night. Just fought, fought, fought. I, yeah, I couldn't even open up a pop bottle. You know the old pop twist off pop bottle tops. Oh, your fist must. I couldn't have been even just... open a pop bottle because my hands were so sore. And then after about the first that month, the second month, they go, well, hell, he's going to fight. Let's leave him. Let's go to pick on somebody else. And then, and then, and that was it. And everybody, you played the game the way it was supposed to be played. Was there someone that pulled you aside that kind of smartened you up and said, hey, Alan or Hank, you might want to go ahead and, and you've been kind of staying away from players this first month. You might want to stick up for yourself a little bit more. Yes, yes, there was. And that was, you know, Ricky Lee. Mm-hmm. Lee is the one that he was my partner, co-partner. That said, you know, hey, you're a big farm, you know, uh, big strong farm boy. You know, why don't you, you know, why are you turning, you know, your cheek? You know, we need you to fight for us. And then that's, you know, just about when it, you know, it, it took over. You know, and and it ended to do that. I got more ice time too. Dave Keon leads the um, leads the New England Whalers in, in points that year, and we haven't really touched on Dave, and it was interesting. You talked about how he came over to the Maple Leafs just because he needed to get away from Harold Ballard. Do you have any other memories of Dave Keon? He was a legend with the Maple Leafs. Davey and Johnny McKenzie were like, you know, salt and pepper. They, 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 whatever they were, you see one, the other one was there. I mean, it was, they were the closest, two guys on the team. I guess they were probably the oldest two guys on the team. But Davey Keon is always a class, class, class man. And then another one that was, you know, that you could, you know, just sit and look and watch. And I would watch him practice. You know, he had, he had you know, the straightest stick I've ever seen on anybody to this day. In fact, it was so straight, I think it was going back the other way. <laughs> but that's how, that's how he would forecheck a guy. He would make the guy he would get on the, I guess, on the front side of the guy and make him turn back. And when the guy would turn back, 
Davey would cut in because when you turn back with the puck, now the puck is unprotected. It's, it's out in front of you. And he would play that every, every night just to, and everybody would fall into it because, you know, like he would force you to cut back. And when you'd cut back, all he would do was take your arms because he wasn't a big man. He, was, he wasn't a big man. He was just a smart guy. And, all, and pretty soon you're standing on the other side of the puck and he's in between the puck and, and you know, and you. And he would do it every, every night. You watch him in practice and you would do it. And you still couldn't, you know, the only thing you could do to do that was to dump the puck out because he would take it away from you. The season ends. It's your last season in the WHA. And as part of the agreement, the WHA teams can keep two players. And if your rights are owned by an NHL team, they're back to that NHL team. You are to report to that NHL team. So you are picked up by Montreal. Uh, who owned your rights originally, are you starting to think, oh, my gosh, I tried to avoid these guys the first time. Now I'm getting sucked back in? No, not, not really. You know, it's at that time I had played against enough of the, you know, like against the French Canadians and different things that I could hold my own. I thought that, you know, that I could hold my own. I wasn't this young country boy coming from northern Minnesota that, grew up on a farm and that, you know, all he knew was, you know, snowflakes and leaves falling and, you know, to play hockey that I had been around enough that I, I figured that I could fit in. Good news is, though, you actually get picked back up by Hartford and uh, Nick Fortu is coming back to play the next season. And there was a great quote by you and he only had 24 minutes and penalty minutes. Uh, it was in the Hartford Courant. It basically said, someone said, why does Nick only have 24 penalty minutes this season? You just said, nobody wants to fight him. Exactly. Nicky, Nicky was my roommate, and I, I can never forget the first training camp. I show, I we show up in training camp, and here comes this guy that he's wearing a canary suit. I mean, he's got a it's a yellow freaking canary suit on. And I'm going, who is this guy? Well, needless to say, Nicky was a Golden um, Gloves boxer out of Staten Island. God. That. <laughs> that nobody, you know, that's why he could wear a yellow suit, and you know, and nobody said a word about it. Oh. Nikki was tough, but um, I fought. Uh, I watched Nikki, and this is well. This goes back to the the longest fight in the history of the hockey it was against the Minnesota North Stars against the Hartford Whalers, oh, and gosh. it went on for I don't know twenty seven, twenty eight minutes. That they've got, you know, that, that's it. There's a tape out on it that. That Nikki, I think Nikki and Jack fought three different times in the penalty box, out of the penalty box, in the visitors' box, and then back out onto the ice again. They went three different times in that time. And were you playing in this game? Yes, yes. What is going through your mind when and you so see well, all that this? Was the thing is, is that I was playing, and back then you never wore a helmet. Oh, you know, I never wore a helmet anyway. That I'd stepped on a stick. And went over backwards, and who I, I, I forget, I think it was Billy Butters who I was fighting, because he'd suckered Larry Plo. There wasn't even a fight. It was Billy Butters suckered Larry Plo, and so I jumped Butters, and then we we were fighting and doing whatever, and I stepped on a stick and went over backwards and hit my head on, head on the ice. Oh. And I was out, I mean, out cold. The whole fight stopped. I mean, they, they, they tell me this. The whole fight stopped. And then pretty soon I come to again, get back up and start fighting, and everybody else starts fighting again. And it was just like, you know, the Donnybrook. 
Oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to find some footage of that on YouTube. I'm sure it's out there. Oh, they, 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 they've got it. It, it. It's out there. I know that they. Um, what the hell was it? Um, Michael Mara and shoot, they had. They used to have the the TV or the, the the radio station or the radio show here every morning. It was um, Dandy Don and Michael Mara. Okay. They they had taped it or they've got. There's a tape out there from Hartford on, on the fight. Oh my gosh! If I yeah. if I'm able to track down a copy of it, would you like a copy? Sure, I'd love it. Yes, I'll try to track down a copy <laughs> for you. So January seventeenth, nineteen eighty. I'm sure that date is ingrained in your head. It uh, you play against the Pittsburgh Penguins. You score a goal, and after the game, it's you find out you're traded. Can you walk me through after being with the Hartford Whalers for so long, being traded, and 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 how you found out what that was like, and your reaction? Well, my reaction was, um, I guess, heartbreak. I couldn't believe it. Uh, it really, 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 really hurt. That all I ever knew, had no one up until then, was Hartford. You know, I grew up, I grew up in Hartford, um, and. For me to go someplace else, and then that's when I really realized that all you are is a piece of meat. You sure. know, in professional sports, you become a come on. You know, like you're 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 traded, and it's just you're people love you. That uh, even you know, say you go back with Howard Baldwin. Howard Baldwin, I know damn well that he loved, and he did nothing he could do about it. That his daughter. Becky wouldn't talk to him for a month after I was traded. And, you know, Howard comes out and tells me this today that, you know, that you, you, when you were traded, you destroyed our family for a while because they were just, you know, because I would play with Howie and then, you know, Becca was my, you know, was, or I was Becca's hero. Right. But it was, it went really, really, really deep. It took a, it took a while for me to come back that, you know, that you know, I, I really didn't know what to do. I swear to God, I didn't know what to do. It's like, you know, you, you're losing, you, you're losing whatever you had. You know, it, it was, it was home. Hartford was home. You were incredibly popular. You received over 300 letters from fans and there were countless newspaper articles from uh, fans writing into the newspaper talking about how upset they were about the trade. At the time, you land in, let's say, Baltimore. Where I'm assuming you probably flew into flew into Baltimore or National. You get to Washington. What's your first impression? Um, big city. I, I didn't, you know, like when we were out in Landover. That it was, yeah, it was the old Cap Center. You know that when I flew into, you know, into National, I'm going, oh my gosh, you know, you fly over the city and then you land, and they they picked me up and took me to a hotel room, you know, like right over by in the inland over. And I, I remember staying there, like, what is it? The last two months of the season, I was in, in the hotel. And I can remember flying back, uh, like the, we played on, a, uh, I want to say like on a, a Friday or a Saturday that I flew back Monday morning and loaded my stuff up in my Beverly Hillbillies pickup that I had. It was, you know, and drove back here to Washington, and I'm going around the Beltway, and I'm going, God damn, I can't find the right exit. <laughs> this is where I had stayed, you know, for like two weeks before I was able to go back. I know where the exit is off the Beltway. 
Well, I was on the wrong beltway. I was on the Baltimore beltway. Oh, my God. And not the west. <laughs> I, was on, I was on 695, not 495. Got it. Yeah, it was like 10.30 at night. I pulled over at um, some place, and I said, where is such and such a place in Landover? And he goes, well, you're on the wrong. you got to go down BW Parkway and then get on the other belt. I said, oh, yeah, right, great, another beltway. Now, you know. Oh, man. So <laughs> and for people that no. don't live in this area that might be hearing this, the Beltway hasn't changed in 40 years. It's still a nightmare. Um, no, no, it's still a nightmare. Exactly. It's still a nightmare. It's getting worse. Three days after you get traded, Nikki Foytu storms out in the middle of the game and argues with Bill Deneen. Don't know if you know this, but uh, or, or I'm sure you do know this, but there was an article the next day that one of the reasons he left was because he was so upset about your trade. Did you keep in touch with a lot of the guys after you left? You obviously had some very close relationships with those whalers. Um, that's one of the, I guess, the saddest things about hockey players is that everybody, I'll, I'll see you. I'll call you tomorrow. Um, I'll call you in a month. We'll keep in touch. And when you walk out that door, it's like, you know, you're, you're going somewhere else. You're doing this, you're doing that. And, you know, you think about it and you think about it. And I have found now in the last you know, few years that I have made more phone calls than I did in the first 10 or 20 years is that you've got to, you know, like you always say that this friendship and stuff is, it is so deep. And I mean, you're, you're like brothers and because you live out of a suitcase, a hotel room in an airport for eight months of the year. Right. And, you know, all these people are, they're there no matter you, you eat, sleep and, you know, and play with, you know, with the guys. And when that day comes that you walk out that door, it's really sad that we don't keep uh, in touch more than what we do. For any old players that hear this, uh, tell them what you're doing now. Tell them a little bit about your roofing business. I think you, uh, if I'm not mistaken, have your own company now. Well, I've got a. Um, my wife has a company on the side. I've worked. This, this is. I was in Washington, and it was it was, it was springtime, as you know. Needless to say, Washington didn't make the playoffs then. So I'm home, going to the bar every night coming home, watching the soap operas. I built a shroud around my TV so I could lay out on the back deck and watch the soap operas you know, so that the sun wasn't messing with my TV. <laughs> and I'm going, you know, <laughs> I can't do this. You know, training camp is going to freaking kill me. You know, it's going to kill me. So I said, I got to do something. So the, the first company I called up was called Beta Construction. And I started as a laborer at the Naval Academy. And 37 years later, I'm still working for the same company. Wow. And I bet you've seen the city change so much. And I'd love to talk with you about that at some point. I know that I've kind of kept you for an hour, so I'm gonna, I'll finally let you go. You've been an unbelievably great guest. I still can't get over that Nick Foytu actually got up in the middle of the game and as a way to show his dissatisfaction with the decision made to trade Alan Hengslaben, left the bench. And I think that really summarizes how not only – the teammates, not only how the Whalers felt about Allen, but also how he felt about them. He loved that city, and and you can definitely tell from this interview. If anybody has any of the fight footage that we talked about here with Billy Butters and this long fight, please send me an email. I'd love to try to get a copy of this over to uh, Allen. I was hoping I could find something on YouTube, and I couldn't. 
So if there are any fight fans out there, or any collectors, or if you have some old VHS tapes collecting dust, you check them out and maybe you find this fight from the WHA days, please shoot me an email. I'd love to try to get this footage over to Alan. I hope you guys had as much fun listening to this interview as I did conducting it with Alan. He just is such a class act, the consummate gentleman. And I loved hearing about all these old timers such as Davey Keon, Mike Gartner, guys you don't really hear about. And hey, he fought Barry Melrose. I mean, I'm surprised he didn't get knocked out by Melrose's mullet. That thing seems to be going everywhere. So thanks again to Alan for coming on the show. Really, really enjoyed talking with him. I definitely want to do another episode with him. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to Snapshots in Hockey History. Please don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Get the podcast delivered to you every Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. Please don't forget to tell your friends. Appreciate all the correspondence. And hey, as I said, if you have any OHL recommendations, please send them my way. Make it a great week.